you would please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Numbers, the fourth book in the Old Testament, the fourth book in our Bible. And as we turn to God's word together, let's turn to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we just sang, would you haste the day when the faith becomes sight. Father, would you be pleased now to strengthen our weak faith? Would you be pleased to open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ as he is made known in your word? May your word and spirit have their way with your people. Father, we again thank you for your faithfulness to this church, to us as individuals and families this past year, and we look forward to what you will do in growing and strengthening our faith this year. Be pleased now, Father, to use your word and spirit to that end, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are at the beginning of a new year, the first day of a new year. Isn't that a great way to start? I mean, the Lord's Day, the first day of the new week, the first day of the new year. It's a time for a fresh start. Indeed, that weekly rhythm of the Lord's Day uh, is given to people who need fresh starts. But here it is occurring on the 1st of January. But it's also a time of closure from this past year. I mean, things, what we didn't get done yesterday, um, it's over. It's, it's, it's closure. Well, how do you know when something ends? Well, last night it was easy to tell when the year ended. The calendar tells us. How do you know when a day ends? The clock. Children, how do you know when school ends? Is there a bell? How about when work ends? Is there a whistle? How about, how do you know when a phone call ends? You've been on those awkward phone calls, right? That you don't know how to end until somebody says what? Goodbye. How do you know when a meeting ends? You know, when there's that final decision and whoever's running the meeting says it ends. And all of that, there's a closure of sorts. There's an ending. Well, how about a worship service? How do you know when a worship service ends? Historically, with a benediction and with good reason, good biblical reason. Now, it's common, but it's a misunderstanding that the benediction is a command. It's not a command, but it's rather a statement. It's a pronouncement. It's a declaration of reality. In the Latin, benediction means well-speaking. It's a blessing. It reminds us having a benediction at the end of the service. It reminds us that just as God calls us in, to worship, he also sends us out with his blessing. Most of us are familiar with the apostolic benediction that comes at the end of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And indeed, our hymn benediction comes from that text. There's other uh, benedictions that you hear usually when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now may the peace of God, the one from Hebrews 13. 
Well, the most well-known, most common benediction that most Christians are familiar with comes from Numbers chapter 6, and it's known as the priestly or Aaron's blessing. Now, here are a few questions for us today. Is this blessing, this benediction, appropriate for the church today? After all, it's Old Testament. More than that, are these words relevant and applicable for your life today, right now? And a third question is this. Will these words mean anything tomorrow to you when the alarm clock rings and it's still dark? outside. Now we're going to unpack both the context and the content of this passage. In other words, we're going to take a look at what's on the inside as well as the outside. We're going to see how the first advent of Jesus Christ transforms our understanding of what is written. Please join with me now as I read Numbers chapter 6 verses 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you And give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. First, let's look at the context of the blessing, what's on the outside, first of all, from verses 22 and 23. First, the Old Covenant context, specifically the historical context. This is book four of five of the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Well, what's in a name? Have you ever wondered about the name of this book? Well, it comes from the Greek uh, title of the book, Numbers, probably because of the two main censuses, numbers, list of people in the book. But the Hebrew title for this book, I think, is very instructive. It's In the Wilderness. In the wilderness, because indeed, this is taking place in the 40 years between Egypt and the promised land. God's people are already out of slavery, but they're not yet in the promised land. And in particular, in this section of Numbers, it is the time of preparation for the journey from Mount Sinai. Yahweh. The Lord spoke to Moses, Yahweh, God's covenant name, his personal name, I am. It's Lord written in all capital letters, a a, a name that the Jews regarded as so holy and so sacred it could not be spoken. And Yahweh, the Lord, instructs Moses to instruct Aaron and his sons, the priest, to represent the people before him. Now, this blessing is not placed in the Sinai legislation at the time of the dedication of the temple and institution of the priesthood that we saw in Leviticus 9. But rather, it's placed here in the narrative of Israel's preparations to enter the promised land. The wilderness, 
as it sounds, is a time of transition and testing. The people of God must exercise faith, trusting daily in God's provision and in his protection. In the wilderness, that's where we are today. It's our context as well. We are in the wilderness. We are preparing, as it were, to enter the promised land. Because here, today, we all struggle with temptation, with sin. We struggle with a return to bondage. It's one of the reasons Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians about people wanting to be to stay slaves to sin. It's why the author to the letter of Hebrews spoke to people who maybe wanted to return to the old covenant way of doing things that couldn't be done now that Christ had come. It's a struggle against sin as we're out of Egypt, but not yet in the promised land. Now, before we look at the theological context, which is verse 27, let's go first to the blessing itself, the content, and make a few comments as the content of the blessing itself will help us better understand the theological context that follows. Well, let's look now at the content of the blessing itself, verses 24 through 26. A few general comments about this text. It is poetry. It is a spoken blessing. It is a description of Yahweh, the Lord's character, through imagery. We hear about His face, about Him turning. There is parallelism in this text that advances the thought. And there is repetition that asks you and me, the reader, to slow down and reflect. And each verse has two clauses, with Yahweh being both the explicit and the implicit subject. And the blessing captures Yahweh's movement toward his people and his activity on their behalf. These six blessings grouped in pairs, lengthen, making the blessing stronger and more emphatic as it drives toward a climax. And you will see this most clearly in the original language of Hebrew, where that first verse is three words, the second verse is five words, and the third verse is seven words. Let's take a look, at, first of all, at verse 24, a general blessing. Three words, bless you, bless you. It sums up the covenant benefits that God gives and shows to his people. Remember, in the beginning, God's intention was to bless Adam. Genesis 1.28, we read, God created man and God blessed them. But then there's the fall and the curse that comes with the fall. But then in Genesis 12, we read of Abraham and the Lord's decision. Listen to these words from Genesis 12, verse 2. And I will make you a great nation, and I will, once again, bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This general blessing starts off by saying, the Lord bless you, but also keep you guard you, protect you, defend you. The purpose is to, the Lord is saying, I will keep you, I will keep you, Israel, in a covenant relationship with me, your God. 
Then we move on to a longer verse, verse 25. It's an invocation of God's favor and presence. We read this, the Lord make his face shine. I don't know if you're like me, but when you read that, you can almost picture that, right? It's a vivid picture of God looking favorably upon his people. Deal kindly. His presence is emphasized. God takes pleasure in his people and he saves them. You all know the effect of a smile or a frown. Children, you know what it's like to get your parents' smile. Parents, you know what it's like to get your child's smile. Friends, you know what it's like to receive the smile of a friend. Be gracious. The outcome of God's pleasure is His grace, His covenant mercy. In salvation, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's not deserved in any way. One of the reasons why this church is named Grace and Peace, of course, you've heard the stories of it's the cause and effect of the gospel that grace leads to peace. But it's so easy to forget grace. It's so easy to to uh, walk away from our, a true understanding of grace. And it's not that the name is magic by any means, but at least it keeps it out front. Be gracious. Be gracious to you. And then the climax of peace, verse 26. Seven words. The Lord lift up his countenance. The face or the expression of one's face is what countenance means. And here it's even more emphatic. Take notice of, pay attention to Israel. Treat his people with favor. So not only does God make his face to shine, but even more so he lifts up his countenance. But then we read, and give you peace, shalom, completeness and well-being. Literally, this peace is completion. And it's the sum of all the blessings that God bestows on his people. It's not just the absence of hostility, but rather it's the positive state of rightness and well-being as well. Well, that's the content, but we need to jump back out now to the theological context. It's the context part two, verse 27. Here's how this section ends once again. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. My name, my name, pronouncing a blessing, God is saying is the same thing as putting my name on them. There's ownership. It's talking about Israel's restoration from captivity. My name. In Isaiah 44, 5, we read this. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's and name himself by the name Israel. And in Revelation 22, verse 4, this final gathering of God's people, we will read this. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. 
in this theological context, verse 27, there is a divine and human aspect. Look at this. You, uh, it said uh, earlier, uh, excuse me, in verse 23, thus you shall bless the people Israel. But then in verse 27, and I will bless them. You shall bless but the blessing itself emphasizes that it is Yahweh alone who blesses his people. And the emphasis and the emphatic is at the end, and I will bless them. Now, isn't it remarkable to consider that the Lord has chosen men to be involved in the pronouncement of his blessing? In other words, God has determined that there would be a mediator for his blessing. Notice also that this blessing is conditional. The blessing of the Lord as found in Aaron's blessing is contingent upon the priest putting the name of the Lord upon the Israelites. The Lord's blessing is dependent upon the priest acting in accordance with the instructions that the Lord gave Moses. Yet, there is an unexpected twist in the ongoing development of and reflection upon the Lord's promise to bless his people. As the Old Testament draws to a close, it appears that Aaron's blessing, so confidently recorded in numbers, is no longer a valid hope in Israel. Well, how did this happen? Well, in writing to the post-exilic community living in the promised land, the prophet Malachi has a specific message for the priest that we heard read earlier from Malachi 2 verses 1 through 9. The Lord, through Malachi, rebukes the priest. And verse 2 of chapter 2 captures the heart of the rebuke. If you, priest will not listen. If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Well, with this, the language of blessing that we read earlier and here see before us in Numbers 6. This language of blessing has been inverted, desecrated, and negated. The prophecy of Malachi brings the Old Testament to a close, and it would appear that it would bring Aaron's blessing to a close as well due to the complete and utter failure of the priestly mediator. At this time of blessing turned into cursing, the question has to be asked, is there a faithful priest in all of Israel who can pronounce the blessing of Yahweh? With this, the Old Testament ends and 400 years of silence begins. But there's the Christ of the blessing. As foretold by Isaiah in the servant songs of the Messiah and elsewhere in his book, the silence is broken. With music, 
The songs of the incarnation that we read in Luke chapter 1 and 2. With the coming of Christ, the separation between the instrument of blessing, the priest, and the source of blessing, Yahweh is removed. How can that be? How can the separation end? Because Christ is both fully God and fully man. Christ, as the priest, is the mediator. The author of Hebrews describes Jesus Christ as the merciful and faithful high priest, the great high priest, the priest greater than Aaron, and the priest who had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin. We read earlier in our prayer in 2 Timothy chapter 2, for there is one God, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Christ, the priest, pronounces a blessing. We heard that in Luke 24. Jesus' last act before returning to heaven, before ascending to his Father, was to bless Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Christ, the mediator, Christ, the priest, is the blessing of peace. Now, just as Aaron's blessing in both structure and content moves toward this climax of peace, so also the priestly work of Christ climaxes with peace. Consider these references in the life of Christ. Remember at the time of his birth, this announcement, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Toward the time of his crucifixion, Jesus said these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give with you. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And the time between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus pronounced peace. Peace be with you. We see three times in John chapter 20. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, that Christ makes peace, preaches peace. Christ himself is our peace. Jesus Christ becomes the blessing of peace because He is the sacrifice of peace. Back to 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all. And indeed, Jesus is the perfect sacrifice For unlike the people of Israel, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he obeyed. Robert Lethem in his work, The Work of Christ, states this. By his propitiatory sacrifice on the cross, Christ has brought us out of a state of enmity with God into friendship. The original fellowship with Adam that Adam enjoyed with God before the fall, has been restored. We are now at peace. 
Paul writes in Romans 5 that because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is both priest and blessing. As priest, he gives his own life as the sacrifice for sin. And as the blessing himself, Christ brings with him two gifts of peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. So my friends, there is blessing in the wilderness for them and for us in this time between the already and the not yet this is where we're living today in the wilderness a time of transition and testing preparing to enter the promised land this past year many if not all of us have struggled in one way or another with temptation with loss with a a despair at times, a a loss of hope. But we know that all is not yet made right, yet God has come, and God is with us. He is Emmanuel, and Christ is with us now by His Holy Spirit. Today, we walk by faith and not by sight, yet one day, this year, next year, Who knows, one day our wilderness wanderings will end and we will enter the promised land. There we will walk by sight and we will see our creator and our redeemer, our Lord and our savior face to face. Once again, this blessing's climax is peace. Have you received this blessing? Do you know the peace of God personally? There is both peace with God. In other words, the hostility is over. And the peace of God. Wholeness, completeness, well-being. Is your hostility with God still there or is it over? Are you still at war? Well, praise God for sending His own Son to be both priest and blessing. Jesus Christ gave Himself completely, as we saw last week in Isaiah 52 and 53. His obedient life and His sacrificial atoning death, He did it for you. Now, is this blessing that we've looked at both fitting and appropriate for us today? Absolutely. Most definitely. So the next time you hear number 6, 24 through 26, which I think will be today, as a benediction, as closure, as the end, consider that it is in Christ that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. It is in Christ that the Lord makes His face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. It is in Christ that the Lord lifts up His countenance upon you and gives you peace. My friends, it is in Christ and Christ alone that the Lord puts His name upon His people and He says, You are Mine. For those of you who have received Christ and are resting on Him alone for salvation, there is indeed great blessing in the wilderness. 
no matter what earthly struggles you presently face or will face in the coming days. There is great blessing because you are at peace with God and you have the peace of God. Well, not only is there blessing in the wilderness, but there is closure in the wilderness. Even though being in the wilderness is unsettling, there is nonetheless closure. For we have the blessing of God in Christ. And what is our response or what should our response be to being blessed in and by Jesus Christ? Well, as we heard from Luke, it is worship with great joy. Jesus blessed them and what did they do? They worshiped with great joy. It's the closure of God's blessing in Christ that begins a life of glorifying and enjoying God. A life of worship for for which we were created. And friends gathered here today on this first Lord's Day of the new year, may that life of joy, that life of worship be yours today and all your days. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that indeed it is in Christ that we receive all of your blessings. Father, Jesus has declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so, Father, we thank you that you indeed have provided a way for people to be restored into a right relationship with you through the person and work of Christ. Father, would you enable us to more and more fall at his feet as we confess our sins and as we rise from our feet with great joy and thanksgiving and we hear his call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him in this new year. Father, we thank you that... uh, We do not bless ourselves. The blessing comes from outside of us. The blessing comes from you. So Father, I pray that you would strengthen the faith of all those in and around grace and peace in this coming year, that though we are in the wilderness, nonetheless, you would strengthen our faith. You would enable us uh, to walk with one another as we're headed in the wilderness to the promised land. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.